Then she filled the mustard pot and, putting it with a certain stateliness under a gold and black tea tray, carried it into the parlor. She rapped and entered promptly. As she did so, her visitor moved quickly, so that she got but a glimpse of a white object disappearing behind the table. It would seem he was picking something from the floor. She wrapped down the mustard pot on the table, and then she noticed the overcoat and hat had been taken off and put over a chair in front of the fire. A pair of wet boots threatened rust to her steel fender. She went to these things resolutely. "'I suppose I may have them to dry now,' she said in a voice that brooked no denial. "'Leave the hat,' said her visitor, in a muffled voice. And turning, she saw he had raised his head and was sitting looking at her. For a moment she stood gaping at him, too surprised to speak. He held a white cloth, it was a serviette he had brought with him, over the lower part of his face, so that his mouth and jaws were completely hidden, and that was the reason of his muffled voice. But it was not that which startled Mrs. Hall. It was the fact that all his forehead above his blue glasses was covered by a white bandage, and that another covered his ears, leaving not a scrap of his face exposed except only his pink peaked nose. It was bright pink and shiny, just as it had been at first. He wore a dark brown velvet jacket with a high black linen-lined collar turned up about his neck, the thick black hair escaping as it could below and between the cross bandages projected in curious tails and horns, giving him the strangest appearance conceivable. This muffled and bandaged head was so unlike what she had anticipated that for a moment she was rigid. He did not remove the serviette, but remained holding it, as she saw now, with a brown-gloved hand, and regarding her with his inscrutable blue glasses. "'Leave the hat,' he said, speaking very distinctly through the white cloth. Her nerves began to recover from the shock they had received. She placed the hat on the chair again by the fire. "'I didn't know, sir,' she began, "'that—' And she stopped, embarrassed. "'Thank you,' he said dryly, glancing from her to the door, and then at her again. "'I'll have them nicely dried, sir, at once,' she said, and carried his clothes out of the room. She glanced at his white-swathed head and blue goggles again as she was going out of the door, but his napkin was still in front of his face. She shivered a little as she closed the door behind her, and her face was eloquent of her surprise and perplexity. "'I never,' she whispered. "'There!' She went quite softly to the kitchen, and was too preoccupied to ask Milly what she was messing about with now when she got there. The visitor sat and listened to her retreating feet. He glanced inquiringly at the window before he removed his serviette and resumed his meal. He took a mouthful, glanced suspiciously at the window, took another mouthful, then rose, and taking the serviette in his hand, walked across the room and pulled the blind down to the top of the white muslin that obscured the lower panes. This left the room in twilight. This done, he returned with an easier air to the table and his meal. "'The poor soul's had an accident, or an operation or something,' said Mrs. Hall. "'What a turn them bandages did give me, to be sure!' She had put on some more coal, unfolded the clothes-horse, and extended the traveller's coat upon this. "'And them goggles!' Why, he looked more like a diving helmet than a human man. She hung his muffler on a corner of the horse, and holding that handkerchief over his mouth all the time, talking through it. Perhaps his mouth was hurt too, maybe. 
She turned round, as one who suddenly remembers. "'Bless my soul alive!' she said, going off at a tangent. "'Ain't you done them taters yet, Millie?' When Mrs. Hall went to clear away the stranger's lunch, her idea that his mouth must also have been cut or disfigured in the accident she supposed him to have suffered was confirmed, for he was smoking a pipe, and all the time that she was in the room he never loosened the silk muffler he had wrapped round the lower part of his face to put the mouthpiece to his lips. Yet it was not forgetfulness, for she saw he glanced at it as it smouldered out. He sat in the corner with his back to the window-blind, and spoke now, having eaten and drunk and being comfortably warmed through, with less aggressive brevity than before. The reflection of the fire lent a kind of red animation to his big spectacles they had lacked hitherto. "'I have some luggage,' he said, at Bramblehurst Station. And he asked...